This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, depictions of human enslavement, degradation, and mind control, violence and threats of violence, discussion of suicide, and extreme acts of misogyny and allusions to rape. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 302. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I share a piece of my fiction with you, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you the latest on my writing endeavors. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 43 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Miriam Bakhtivar's life has taken a sudden and catastrophic turn. After helping the Summer Cell with their raid on a vampire-owned security firm, and trying to track down the rogue telepath Victor Hincavos, Miriam was targeted by the Vampire Crime Syndicate. Malcolm Ardvalos, the Vampire Prince, sent his scion Braddock to hunt down the powerful Elder, together with a dozen of his enforcers. Miriam nearly escaped them, but she was badly weakened in the fight, and Braddock caught her when she was bare inches from freedom. She blacked out from the pain and lack of oxygen, and the last thing she heard was Braddock's mocking voice crooning in her ear. You look like you're in pretty bad shape there, Miriam. But don't worry, I'll make it all better. Two nights later, Miriam awoke in an unfamiliar bedroom, confused and terrified. She discovered that her heart wasn't beating, and she used her power of psychometabolism to force it to start pumping again. But Miriam's keen awareness of her own biology told her that this was only a simulation of life. At the cellular level, everything about her body was different. And wrong. Braddock had turned her while she was unconscious, creating something that should never have been, something that has never existed before, a vampire with psionic abilities. Miriam was horrified, and knew that she had to find a way out of this place. And then, once the dawn comes, she will step out into the sunlight and end this. Leaving the bedroom, Miriam found herself in a lavish penthouse apartment. The exit was locked and could not be broken down, even with her impressive strength. A door inside the apartment opened, and from inside came a delicious scent that called to her. In the doorway, Braddock was waiting for her, and he beckoned her inside. Miriam was powerless to disobey. She stepped through the door 
and entered a parlor of absolute white. White walls, white carpets, couches upholstered in white leather. At the far end of the room stood an enormous high-backed chair, surrounded by beautiful women in skimpy white cotton shifts. And seated on this throne was the crime lord himself, a regal figure with arresting green eyes. Another of his thralls draped lazily in the chair beside him. She was in a haze of narcotic ecstasy, and blood oozed from the wounds in her neck. "'Welcome to my home, Miriam Bakhtivar,' the vampire said. "'I am Malcolm Ardvalos. I would be honored if you would join me for a drink.'" Making the Cut A Novel of Metamore City Written in Red by Chris Lester Chapter 43 Miriam stood face to face with the vampire prince of Metamore City. Part of her wanted to attack him, to destroy this crime lord who posed such a threat to her people. As she looked on him, though, as she gazed into those faded green eyes that commanded instant attention and compliance, she knew that she could sooner take her own life than harm him. Some instinct deep inside her spoke to her with absolute conviction. This is the master. His word is law. I see you're looking much better he said, his voice pleasant and cultured. You were a bit of a mess when Braddock brought you in. He ran a finger along the neck of the thrall nestled beside him, mopping up the two thin lines of blood that dribbled from her wounds. She shuddered in ecstasy under his touch, letting out a soft murr of pleasure. He raised the finger to his lips and licked it absently. Miriam's stomach growled, and she moaned in spite of herself. "'Yes,' Malcolm said thoughtfully. "'I imagine you must be hungry now. "'The change will do that to you. "'Fortunately, I have something to help you with that.' "'He turned his head, and abruptly Miriam found that she could move again, "'though that soul-deep instinct still prevented her from taking any action against him. "'Malcolm, for his part, seemed not to notice the struggle taking place inside her, Or, if he noticed, he had no doubts about how it would end. He reached down beside his chair and grasped the end of a chain, then tugged on it twice. From behind the chair, another woman crawled into view. Unlike the thrall at Malcolm's side or the ones at his feet, this one was not dressed in a white cotton shift. She was naked, and the collar around her neck was her only ornamentation. She must have been beautiful once— a half-elven woman, perhaps thirty-five, with porcelain-white skin and opalescent hair that shimmered like mother-of-pearl. Her slender body was covered with the scars from dozens of bites. She did not look up, as Malcolm guided her to a spot between himself and Miriam. "'This one is for you,' he said. "'I must confess it no longer interests me, but it's healthy, and its blood is sweet.' Take good care of it, and it should last another two hundred years at least. He held out the end of the chain to Miriam. Go on, take it. 
consider it a present to celebrate your first day in between. Miriam felt sick. She knelt down in front of the thrall and tried to meet her eyes, but the woman shied away and looked at the floor. Malcolm chuckled. <laughs> That's why you need the chain, Miriam. He gave it a tug, and the woman's head jerked back, bringing her eyes up to meet Miriam's. They were a pale lilac color, which would have been beautiful had she not been so afraid. The woman froze as soon as their eyes met, and stared at Miriam as if hypnotized. Miriam could feel her will reaching out to surround the woman, enveloping her, testing her strength. The thrall's defenses were like tissue paper, and she immediately submitted herself to Miriam. With astonishment, Miriam saw the woman's entire mind spread open before her, passively awaiting whatever command she might give her. She was an empty vessel waiting to be filled. Shaken, Miriam rose to her feet and took the end of the chain from Malcolm. "'Very good,' Malcolm said. "'A fledgling vampire can learn a lot from her first thrall. Responsibility, dominance, submission, the importance of the hierarchy.' This one is yours to do with as you wish. The thrall nuzzled up against Miriam's side, wordlessly brushing her cheek against Miriam's leg. Miriam absently stroked the woman's hair, as if she were comforting a dog, then realized what she was doing and felt disgusted with herself. Can I set her free? Miriam asked tentatively. Malcolm laughed, a low, rich sound full of genuine amusement. <laughs> Anything except that. This one knows too much about my operations. In any case, it's so domesticated now that I doubt it could survive on its own. Miriam looked down at the wretched creature beside her. Damn it, he's probably right. You may go ahead and taste it if you like, Malcolm offered. Don't worry about the carpet. It's enchanted to repel stains. The sooner you drink from it, the sooner you'll be able to make it truly yours. The thrall craned her neck, exposing her throat to Miriam. Her hunger screamed at her to be satisfied, but Miriam was used to disciplining her body. She focused her psychometabolic powers and commanded her stomach to be silent. She couldn't actually satisfy her hunger through the use of her abilities— but she could block it out for long periods of time. Or, at least, she'd been able to before. She didn't know how long it would last, but her stomach's rumbling did fall silent. "'No thank you, Mr. Odvalos,' Miriam said. She stood up a bit straighter, but that inner compulsion to submit kept her eyes on the floor. "'I thank you for the generous gift, but I prefer to dine in private.' Malcolm gave her a knowing smile. As you wish. In that case, I will give you your instructions, and let Braddock show you to your new apartment. Miriam lowered her head and nodded once. The sooner Malcolm dismissed her, the sooner she could get around to ending this abominable half-existence. What would you have me do? she asked. The vampire prince sat back in his chair letting the blonde thrall beside him nuzzle up against his shoulder. He stroked her hair absently as he spoke. "'I'm concerned about your people, Miriam. I've been watching them over the last couple of centuries, and I don't much like the way things have been going.' 
My people would probably say the same thing about you, sir, Miriam said. Malcolm chuckled again. <laughs> probably so. But let's be honest here, Miriam. Your people are a disruption of the natural order. Mother Lilith created us to feed on humans, to have mastery over them. That's our birthright as the top predators in the food chain. But then your people come along, and all of a sudden we have to worry about our livestock resisting our will. Or, worse yet, putting compulsions in our minds when we try to eat. He grinned, his pointed canines gleaming in the bright light of the room. That's about as disturbing as if cows evolved opposable thumbs and a taste for human flesh. A sick dread settled in the pit of Miriam's stomach. What do you propose to do about this, Mr. Ardvalos? He snorted. <laughs> All right, you can stop with the Mr. Ardvalos business. Would you address a king by his last name? I suppose not, Miriam said. What would you have me call you, then, sir? He shrugged. Sir will do in a pinch. Master is better. You can also call me my lord or my liege, if you're of a more old-fashioned bent, which I can imagine you might be, given your age. Sire is a title that properly belongs to Braddock, since he's the one who brought you across. But you can also use it to refer to anyone in his direct bloodline meaning me and our queen above me. Miriam nodded once more. As you wish, my lord. Very good, Malcolm said. Now then, getting back to the question. I was content to leave your people alone, Miriam. Oh, certainly I intended to take some precautions, to develop certain defenses to protect my interests— but the plain fact is that you weren't a big enough problem to bother starting a war over. Miriam blinked. But you just said that we were a disruption to the natural order. And so you are, Malcolm agreed. But war is terribly bad for business, Miriam. My organization prospers because we impose order on chaos. Humans have an insatiable appetite for their vices—sex, gambling, drugs— we serve that appetite while keeping the more destructive side under control. Ever wondered why you don't see street crime on the upper levels of the city? Because we don't allow it. It's not the police who keep the criminal element under control, Miriam. It's us. He shrugged. When you get into a war, that changes. The ugly events of street side start happening higher up. That's when you get shootouts at skyports and messy break-ins at fourth-level office buildings. All of a sudden you're spending your time and money on eliminating threats instead of making more money, and that's not good for anyone. Miriam looked up, not quite at his eyes, but only a little below them. My lord, if you aren't planning to start a war, then why take me? You must know that my people will be outraged as soon as they find out what you've done. Ah, yes, that is a concern, Malcolm said. But then, given your egoist abilities, I don't really think it's going to be a problem. After all, here you are in front of me, your skin flushed with color, your heart beating. Once you have a good feeding, you'll even be able to bring up your body temperature. He put a finger to his lips, pursing them in thought. As a matter of fact, that's your first order. Whatever you're doing with your powers right now, 
keep doing it at all times. And make sure that you stay well-fed so you can keep your temperature at human norm. You're going to be our eyes and ears inside the Collective, and we can't let you be discovered because you forgot to keep your heart beating. Oh, and obviously you're not allowed to tell anyone about what happened to you either, or about anything else you might learn about our organization, unless I tell you otherwise. He said the words casually, but they fell on her with the weight and power of a wizard's geish. She could not disobey him. The compulsion within her would bind her to his will, as surely as any spell. As you wish, my lord, she whispered. See, now you're getting the hang of it, Malcolm said. You will report to Braddock, unless I call for you in person. Keep him informed of anything the Collective might do that would pose a threat to our operations, especially if they're planning any more attacks like the one against Viscount, and any intelligence the Collective might pick up about what we're doing. Be sure to tell Braddock about that as well. Miriam just nodded. In another couple of hours, the sun would be up, and it wouldn't matter anyway. Yes, my lord. Will there be anything else? Malcolm smiled. Probably. I don't have any other firm plans for the moment, but I'm sure I'll be calling on you from time to time to do some disinformation for us. A rumor here, a false lead there. Sometimes we might need you to deliver a message, or make a bit of evidence disappear. Mostly we'll be using you to muddy the waters and keep the collective off balance. I want them paranoid enough that they don't try anything too risky, but not so paranoid that they launch another preemptive strike. I understand, Miriam said. She wished that she could go back six months and tell herself about this conversation. After the commands he'd placed on her, though, she couldn't even tell the other elders. Good, Malcolm said. Is there anything else I should be worried about? Anything that might expose you? If you can think of anything, tell me. Miriam swallowed nervously. She tried to keep silent, tried to tell herself that, no, there was nothing, nothing at all, the plan was perfect. Sir, the other telepaths won't be able to touch my mind now, she blurted. A vampire's mind is a blank slate. The only way to touch it is through the blood bond. Malcolm nodded thoughtfully. Normally you're right, of course. But there has never been a vampire telepath before either, so we're in uncharted territory. He gestured at the woman who still knelt by her feet. Can you enter a thrall's mind without the blood bond? Yes, sir, Miriam said. But her mind is so weak, I'm not sure that's saying very much. He nodded, conceding the point, then gestured at the group of women arrayed at his feet. Try these, then. They're a bit fresher than that one. See if you can enter their minds without looking at them. Obediently, Miriam closed her eyes and reached out to each of the women in turn. None of them had much in the way of mental resistance, and she quickly established psychic contact with all of them. She broke the link and opened her eyes. I can do it, sir. Well, there you have it, then. Just make sure you're the first to initiate contact, and they'll never be able to tell the difference. What if they try to read me first? Malcolm waved his hand dismissively. You're an elder. Your mental shields must have been pretty impressive even before this, yes? Yes, sir. Well, then, all you have to do is convince them that you've gotten better at hiding your mind than they are at reading it. 
Will that keep them from getting too suspicious, given that you don't look like a vampire? She nodded reluctantly. It should, my lord. He grinned. Excellent. In that case, there's just one small matter left to attend to. He nudged the thrall off of his lap and rose to his feet, stepping past the pile of women to stand in front of Miriam. He wasn't unusually tall, perhaps 170 centimeters, but he seemed to tower over her just by the sheer force of his presence. Get on your knees, Miriam. If she could have blushed, Miriam's face would have burned with shame. So, it's not enough to turn me. He has to humiliate me as well. Obediently, she fell to her knees in front of him, waiting for the inevitable. But Malcolm surprised her. Instead of unzipping his pants, as she had expected, he pushed up the cuff of his smoking jacket and bared his left arm. As she watched, he took a letter opener from his pocket and dragged it across his palm, creating a small incision. Blood welled up from the side of the wound, forming a little pool in his hand. Taste it, he commanded. Miriam lowered her mouth to his hand and lapped once at the pool of blood. No sooner had she tasted it than a rush of narcotic ecstasy shot through her entire body. It was better than any drug better than sex, better than anything she had ever experienced. Her control over her hunger shattered, and she began greedily running her tongue over his palm, licking up every last trace of blood. Within seconds, the wound was closed, but she wanted more, needed more. She felt fangs extend from the roof of her mouth, and she pressed them into his palm. No, Malcolm barked. He pulled his hand away then slapped her with a vicious backhand, knocking her to the floor. He grabbed her hair and pulled her head back, exposing her throat. Her eyes met his, and any thought of resistance crumpled in the face of his indomitable will. The blood gift is bestowed at the master's pleasure, not the child's, he said coldly. Serve me well, and you shall taste that power again. Fail me, and there will be punishment. Do you understand me, Miriam? Yes, Miriam gasped. Yes, what? She closed her eyes. Yes, master. He released her then, and she fell to the floor like a marionette whose strings had been cut. She couldn't look at him again, couldn't bear to feel the power of that will pressing down on hers. I'm done with you for now, Malcolm said straightening his cuff and smoothing down the front of his jacket. The anger was still evident in his voice, but he was clearly working hard to regain his composure. Take your thrall and go. Braddock will show you to your new apartment. Miriam grabbed the end of the chain and meekly followed Braddock out of Malcolm's penthouse. The doors opened with a wave of his security badge, as did the doors to the lift across the hall. Braddock pushed the button for the 87th floor, and Miriam waited in silence as the doors closed and the lift began to move. Her thrall cowered in the corner of the lift car, as far from Braddock as possible. After a few seconds of silence, Braddock chuckled. <laughs> Damn, girl, you've got balls. I've never seen anybody try to steal blood from Malcolm before. 
Miriam felt strangely ashamed of herself. I didn't know, she said quietly. Yeah, I kind of figured that. He grinned and patted her ass. Don't worry, girly. We'll make sure we get you up to speed on the finer points of vamp society. She stifled the urge to shudder at his touch. Malcolm had been civil, even pleasant, but Braddock disgusted her. She submitted because she knew she had no choice. The same inner voice that had forbade her from striking out against Malcolm also told her that she must obey Braddock. Whatever else he might be, he was her sire, and her life, such as it was, was his. The lift doors slid open, and Braddock led her down a hallway full of numbered doors, stopping at number 87-83. He pulled an electronic keycard out of his pocket and handed it to Miriam. Here you go. This is yours now. Tentatively, Miriam slid the card into the reader and opened the door. Inside, she found a fairly standard-looking apartment, though the curtains on the windows were quite a bit thicker than usual. She let go of the thrall's leash once they got inside, and the pale woman quickly scurried away from Braddock, disappearing into one of the bedrooms. Miriam found two more bedrooms, two bathrooms, and a large kitchen, in addition to the living room slash dining area. This seems like a lot of space for two people, Miriam observed. Braddock chuckled. Yeah, well, you'd better plan on picking up a few more thralls soon. The one Malcolm gave you may be healthy, but I don't think she's going to last too long as your only source of food. Miriam nodded. I'll remember that. Thank you, sire. She paused. Is everyone in this building a vampire or a thrall? Nah, but everyone from about the 80th floor up is, Braddock said. The thralls take care of the housekeeping, and the security team is top-notch. Oh, yeah. You need to sleep about eight hours a day to keep your strength up. Usually four on either side of twelve noon is about right. You can do it here without having to worry about anybody coming in to stake you. That's good to know. Please leave. Please leave now, so I can figure out how to help that poor girl. I have to do something for her before the sun comes up. Hold on a tick. Braddock grabbed her chin and turned her eyes to meet his. He stared at her for a long moment, before his face broke out in a sly grin. You little minx. You're planning something, aren't you? I could see it in your eyes. She swallowed hard. I swear I wasn't planning to do anything to hurt you, sire. Not you or Master Malcolm. He nodded thoughtfully. No, I see you weren't. But you were planning something, that's for damn sure. Tell me what it was. She winced and gritted her teeth, trying to force back the words. Braddock slapped her. Out with it, bitch! What are you scheming at? I just want to die, Miriam cried, as the words tore themselves from her throat. Great maker, I just want to walk in the sun one last time. She fell to her knees, sobbing. Oh, for fuck's sake, Braddock growled. He kicked her in the stomach, knocking her over. Are you really that damned noble? You don't want to spy on your own people, so you'd rather die? He kicked her again, 
harder. She felt a rib snap, then felt it shifting inside her as it started to grow back into place. Or are you just a fucking pussy who's too scared to try the life in between? Is that it, Miriam? You're just a whiny little cunt who wants to quit when it gets hard. I don't know, Miriam wailed. Oh, really? You don't know why you want to die? Well, that's not going to work. He got down in her face, pinning her to the floor. Now you listen to me. You don't get to punch your own ticket, you understand me? You can bitch and moan all you want, but I forbid you to kill yourself. And don't you go letting anyone else try to do it for you. You got that? (laughs) Yes, sire. She sobbed, feeling the last shred of hope drain out of her. There was nothing left, no means of escape. They had her, and they weren't going to let her go. Not ever. Good, Braddock said, getting to his feet. Now take off your clothes, bitch. Malcolm may be all dignified and mannerly, but I sired one sweet piece of ass, and I intend to use it. Numbly, Miriam got up and began to strip. She had no choice. And that's the end of chapter 43. Come back next time when Miriam gets some help from her new thrall and learns the young woman's astonishing history. David Alejandro Fernhead said, The hardest things to write are often the best things to read, and the most deserving to be written. So let's check in on my progress for this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of September 11th through September 17th. I wrote 1,081 words this week, over the course of 1.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 721 words per hour. I worked on my creative projects on 6 out of 7 days. This week I continued working on audio production for Making the Cut. On Saturday I finished the episode I had been editing during the previous week. Then on Sunday, I recorded an additional chapter, which meant that I now had raw audio for two chapters ahead of the episode I had just finished. It took me two more days that week to edit one of those chapters. I took one night off to play some Dungeons & Dragons with friends, and spent another night writing the script for this episode, the only writing I did this week. The sixth day of creative work was something different and special. I've mentioned several times on this show that Don Phoenix, a longtime friend of mine, was going to write a Metamore City novel called Mirrors, which tells the story of Morgan's early life, her transformation into a vampire, and her subsequent rescue from Malcolm and Braddock's control. Don finished a rough draft of this story almost ten years ago, but it was lost when her laptop was stolen, and she spent years struggling with whether to try again. This week she told me that she is finally starting her senior year of college, after many years of on-and-off education, and she's going to write the book as the capstone project for her creative writing program. We spent over two hours on a recorded video call, discussing Morgan's journey and working out themes and plot elements for the story. 
I can tell she's excited about the project again, and now that she's in a much more stable position in other areas of her life, I think she's finally ready to make this book happen. I'm excited about Mirrors, too. I've been wanting this story to exist for more than a decade, but it never felt like my story to tell. Dawn has felt a kinship with Morgan from the beginning, and I left this space in the Metamore canon open for her when she was ready to fill it. I'm going to continue collaborating with her on this project, making sure that the book lines up with the established lore and what we've learned about the characters over the years. And someday, when it's ready, I look forward to sharing it with you. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.